You're listening to a Mint podcast brought to you by HD Smartcast. Are you moving to the US? Well, there's a host of financial tasks you would be required to do, especially if you have investments in India. When an NRI in the US owns funds overseas, the tax compliance could be quite dicey. Unlike in India, US authorities tax individual based on their residency and tax status. Therefore, the US will tax its residents and citizens on income earned from investments in the US as well as investments overseas. In today's episode, I will tell you how your tax filing will change once you move to the US and seeing the tax implications, how much of your investment should be in India. Hi, I'm Shipra from Mint's personal finance team and welcome back to Why Not Mint Money. Dilshad Bilimoria, who's managing director and principal officer at Dilzer Consultants has joined me today. Welcome to Why Not Mint Money, a personal finance podcast where we help you understand basic money concepts and share strategies for you to build your wealth. So let's get started with your money journey. Hi Dilshad and welcome to Why Not Mint Money. Hi Shipra, nice to be on the show. Thank you. So let's start with tax Dilshad. Uh NRIs in the US uh you know may still have some mutual funds or ulip investments back in india so how will these be taxed in the us yeah so uh let's clarify first uh, a us resident so anyone who has stayed in the us for more than 182 days or who is a us citizen or uh, who is a us expat or of course uh, an nri these are all people who are called uh, you know us residents So typically people who move from India say for either higher studies and then even for work uh, kind of uh, purposes and if they have invested before moving in mutual funds it's uh, quite a lot on the compliance front uh, that needs to be taken care of so um, what i was saying is that if investments are made in india and then the person migrates to the us for whatever purpose uh, there is a lot on the compliance front and if their income exceeds 10000 us dollars they will have to file annual returns on the mutual funds uh, uh, according to the fbar and fatca guidelines so in addition to filing the returns in form 8621 they will you know any income that is earned by an individual in the US the US IRA wants to know about it basically and that's where the declaration of this mutual funds that the person has invested before uh, moving to the US has to be made and there are a lot on the compliance front uh, issues that have to be taken care of right so that's about the compliance and tax filing what about tax that needs to be paid on this income how how does that work out right yeah so the tax has to be paid uh, on capital gains in mutual funds now uh, the moment a person becomes an nri they will have to pay uh, you know tax uh, in india on capital gains which uh, as you know in uh, on equity below 1 year is 15% above 1 year at 10% with an exemption of 1 lakh uh, limit that the government has given in the us for example if the capital gains that are made and this is uh, mind you even on unrealized capital gains if the capital gains made in a year and it, this is calculated for each and every scheme of mutual fund that is being held by the investor so what is the starting nav on 1st jan of the previous calendar year and their calendar year is jan to december and ours is from april to march 
So what was the starting NAV, uh, you know, at the beginning of the uh, calendar year, what was the closing NAV and the differential basically is a capital gain. Now, if the tax there is uh, 28%, I'm just giving an example, this has to be checked with the CA. So if the tax is uh, at 28% in, you know, in the US and the capital gains tax, you know, in India is say at 15%, there is something called the DTAA, Double Tax Avoidance Agreement, because at both cases, one needs to pay the tax. Right. So, one question here, like you said that uh, tax is charged in the US even on unrealized gains. So, say for instance, for five years, I pay tax on those unrealized gains. And then the sixth year, I finally redeem my mutual fund units here in India. And then I have to pay capital gains here in India also. In that case, how will I, you know, how, how can I use DTA to avoid double taxation? Right. So uh, uh, the agreement, which is double tax avoidance agreement, is between India and the US. And uh, what they say is that if there is a treaty between the two countries in terms of an agreement on the taxation, uh, the difference only between the two countries has to be paid as a uh, tax for the investor. Uh, so like uh, in my earlier example, if I said say 28% is the tax on capital gains in the US and in India it's at uh, you know 15%, the differential amount is what the investor has to file. Uh, and of course the forms there are you know 1040, 1040 NR depending on the uh, uh, residential status of the uh, US person. Right. So again, see, like I like the example that I took, that I have been paying tax on my unrealized gains for five years, which means that 28% each year. Am I right? Yes, assuming that's the tax rate. So uh, that, uh, like I said, the tax rate in the US will differ because mind you, there are two taxes in the US. There is a state tax and there is a federal tax, except for some states like Houston, most of the states where you are filing returns, you need to pay two taxes uh, and therefore it becomes complicated. So, uh, yeah, that's the basic uh, premise. No, but in that case, I would have paid a lot of tax in those five years, right? So when I do redeem my mutual fund units here in India and yeah. the tax that I've already paid in US would be way higher than my actual tax liability here in India. Then, yeah, no. so the, yeah. Yeah, so this is an annual compliance audit, right? So for year one, so say I, I have, uh, you know, made a gain in India um, at, uh, say, 15% in year one. And in the US, obviously, it's the same because it's a uh, capital gains. Now, uh, in India, I will not be paying any tax until and unless I actually sell the units of mutual fund. Right. Okay. Uh, whereas in the uh, US, in uh, the differential between the 1st Jan and 31st December NAVs is basically the unrealized. So my uh, CPA in the US will have to declare that uh, unrealized gain and pay the taxes in that year one, right. uh, even though I have not sold the investment. Similarly, this goes on in year two, year three, year four, year five. The reason being these are investments that fall in the PFIC guidelines. Now, if you finally sell and close your account, the taxation would be as capital gains itself in the US. And in India, it will also be a capital gains because now you're finally selling investments or units in India. So then the DTAA comes into effect and you are just paying the differential in tax between the two countries as capital gains. 
right and if my tax liability is low in india is lower than what i've already paid in the us so will i get the refund of the differential or no um so there is like i said there is a differential the if the tax liability in india is 15% and the tax liability in the us is 28% you still have to pay the differential tax so it it will never be that you will not have to pay tax in fact uh, it goes further uh, to be um, you know uh, more difficult in the us because if i have made a loss in a mutual fund in a year now how i am declaring in the us the capital gains and paying the tax on it in the us i am not allowed to set off the losses okay i i can just keep the loss aside for that uh, calendar year if in the following calendar year i have made a gain i can offset the loss against that particular scheme level so it's not in the mutual fund level um whereas in india the the taxation on set off of losses is much more beneficial where the person can carry forward the losses or can even offset the losses against uh, gains against other mutual funds that benefit is not given by the ir right is there any other option available with the nri or this is the only option and you know they'll have to every year pay tax on the unrealized gain and right fulfill all the compliances so uh, there are uh, you know if the nri wants to continue to hold the mutual funds okay and i will uh, give you option 2 which is uh, a much uh, better way of doing this but option 1 is if the nri is wanting to hold the mutual funds and is okay with paying taxes every year on the unrealized gains in the us then what some people would do is um you know uh, say for example in the us i would have i mean in india i would have invested in say of uh, you know 1st of jan or 15th of jan i will uh, instruct my investor or client to sell the units by 25th of december uh, and reinvest that by 1st of jan the following calendar year by doing this i am reducing or mitigating the capital gains that has been made in uh that calendar year and therefore the tax on unrealized gains is further reduced for the client there uh this is a uh, very uh compliance heavy it requires lot of uh, kind of jugglery and form filling and actually it is not in the best interest because there are so many other things to be considered like charges and taxes again in india etc right right so uh all that has to be uh looked at on a case to case basis and that's uh and then advised to the client the right. second option which is uh, uh you know beneficial to uh, such investors is um they need to redeem their mutual funds and invest in equities now in equities you have uh, various options or modes of investing in india you can either invest in direct equities or you can invest in etfs Right. or you can invest in portfolio management service uh, which and all these mind you fall outside the pfic guidelines the problem arises that any investment that falls within pfic guidelines is what is going to hurt the indian uh, you know us nri who's now moved from india to the us to a large extent so um in that case the better option would be to redeem the existing mutual funds and to reinvest into any of these asset classes that is going to be more uh, tax compliant for the investor right 
So PFIC guidelines, mutual funds fall under PFIC guidelines. Exactly, mutual funds and insurance policies. So PFIC is passive foreign investment company, and these are basically uh, guidelines where they have stated that where there are pooled investments. Right. Um, that is where the the concern arises, and that is where the annual declaration, compliance, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, come into effect. Uh, and therefore, it is uh, you know uh, a little more hassle, and of course, you're paying taxes on unrealized gains as well. Right, right. That makes sense. So, if somebody was to you know seeing the complications around it, of course, one. One suggestion you've already given that you can invest directly in equities. The other question to ask is, how much you know should be invested in India uh, at all? Because because um, mm. it's easier with other options, but there's still tax compliances and you know other kind of complications. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question, and that's something that most of our clients have also asked. You know, uh, what level of Asset allocation should we give to India and to uh, US and other international kind of countries, and that's all a result of, I think, two three very important considerations that the financial advisor must uh, consider. One is uh, what, uh, and this is at a broader level, what is the overall end objective of the client? Now, if the client is planning to continue to stay in the US hmm. uh, and for a very long time, say uh, you know, ten years, fifteen years. Uh, then the asset allocation to India needs to be lower. Right. If the uh, investor is saying that I am planning to come to India in the next five years, uh, you know, and I want to have my retirement here, etc. However, I'd like my children to, uh, uh, you know, do their higher studies and continue to have a living there because anyway, when they were born there, they became uh, U.S. citizens. So, um, in those cases, there is a, a kind of asset allocation that you need to keep in mind, saying that okay, it, this you know uh, client wants to come back finally, and therefore, what should be the uh, equity or debt uh, or other asset classes that one should consider in India, which are going to be tax friendly, and which will cater to the needs, objective, time horizon of that particular case in the client's case. Uh, and of course, the uh, uh, you know overall asset allocation, the risk profile, the objectives of the client, all that is um, you know. So I, I mean, I can't give you a number like a sixty forty or a fifty fifty because it all is very unique to the you know specific case of the client's that's needs. That's right. So that's about uh, tax compliances and other things that NRI should keep in mind. Uh, let's take a step back. That when somebody is immigrating. Uh, I'm sure that they would be required to do, you know, take certain steps with respect to their bank accounts, MF holdings, insurance before they move out of India. So uh, maybe if you could tell our listeners a little about that. Sure. So yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, it's very important to get uh, ready on such things, especially uh, you know, considering that this is a long-term commitment where many people move out uh, on work, etc. So of course, the first most important point is to, um, and and I I would think that updating bank accounts immediately is not required, right? So we, if you remember, we started with the requirement that only once they cross 182 days or 183 right. days in the US. They will have to start. Um, so, importantly, retain your uh, India number. That helps a great deal. Uh, it's a very simple thing, but it's quite often overlooked because people don't realize that um, 
you know, there are ties, there are threads that you need to maintain, for example, payment of insurance premiums, where there are OTP based requirements, and therefore you will need to hold that Indian uh, phone number. Right. So uh, definitely have uh, that, you know, that mobile uh, uh, active in India, I mean, in the US uh, and pay for it and um, insurances. Right. So what are the insurances that I already have in India? And the good thing is most of the insurances in India are covered worldwide. And um, should there be a grievance, the amounts are paid in INR to the uh, individual, irrespective of where they are in the uh, world. Uh, so insurances have to be looked at. Um, there are certain investments that are not friendly for NRIs, right? So, for example, PPF accounts uh, have to be re-looked at and uh, the update of the status of PPF accounts has to be made to, um, uh, uh, yeah, to the PPF authorities and to uh, the bank where you've opened your PPF account. But all this has to be done not immediately. It can be done after 182 days once the person is uh, there because there are so many other considerations that uh, go into where what if they change their mind and they want to come back to India immediately or if they are saying that uh, no this is uh, just an assignment that I'm doing for a short period so not every case would mandate uh, you know these checklists it right. all depends on the requirement but uh, so things like um, yeah, the bank accounts and then of course you need to update your bank from a RI to an NRE or an NRO account. That is an important aspect that one must consider and this is only one uh, after 182 days of staying in the US. Right. So uh, once the person has uh, you know uh, settled down there and uh, aware about the situation. Of course, there are other finer details of what is the cash flows, what is the budgeting, uh, because the entire situation change, changes once you're in the US in terms of higher costs, uh, are they being covered, uh, things like purchasing a car, um, you know, uh, finding a rented place. And then, of course, over time, people also look for property uh, if they are planning to settle for longer periods of time. But in India, I think it's mainly having a look at your bank, having a look at your um, investments, having a look at your insurances, having a look at uh, uh, ensuring that your mobile is uh, retained and, okay. uh, you know, ensuring that uh, the bank accounts will be updated after a period of time. Right. Right. So as you said that it doesn't need to be done immediately right before leaving, but it would do well to keep all the documents ready and you know, do the paperwork before you leave so that once you uh, cross that threshold of 182 days, you are in a position to make those changes. Exactly. And most important, which I missed out is inform your financial advisor, <laughs> because, um, you know, uh, things like maybe creating a power of attorney, updating uh, the will, uh, uh, creating, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, informing that uh, who will take charge in case there is a, a rented property. So is there a property management expert that needs to be brought into the picture? Uh, and of course, the existing investments, the financial advisor has to be made aware because again, there are restrictions on uh, investments in mutual funds by US NRIs in the US. So for example, a Franklin uh, Templeton investment cannot be made if the person is a uh, you know, US uh, NRI. 
So all those uh, considerations have to be considered uh, and informed to the advisor. Right. All right. So that brings us to the end of today's episode. Uh, thanks a lot, Dilshad, for joining us today and for the useful information that you've given our listeners. Thank you very much, Shipra. It was uh, good fun. That brings us to the end of today's episode. If you would like to know more about this topic or make a suggestion of a personal finance topic that you would like us to cover, I can be reached at Twitter under the username of Shipra Singh Sarath and on LinkedIn at Shipra Singh. Thank you for tuning in. See you in the next episode. To stay updated on this podcast, follow us at HD Smartcast on all the major social media platforms. To listen to more such podcasts, log on to www.hdsmartcast.com. Hold up. 